Good morning. It's always good to be with you. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning with the words that Holly led us in this morning from Psalm 23, ringing in our hearts that you are our shepherd, that you lead us and you guide us, that you're with us even when we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not afraid because you're walking beside us. God, as we open up our hearts to your word this morning, we pray that you would help us have a deep sense in our souls of your closeness to us, of your, your presence in our lives. God, we confess there are times that we get overwhelmed, we get anxious, we get overcome by sorrow and, and fear, and we don't realize just how close you are to us at every single moment of our lives. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would help us sense your nearness to us and that it would give us strength. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. My dad, when I decided that I wanted to go into to professional ministry, he said, well, son, you may not get invited to, to too many parties, especially people who don't really go to church that much. You know, ministers kind of have this uh, aura about them that makes people feel like you're probably not a lot of fun, and you're not a lot of fun to begin with, son, so it's going to be really <laughs> difficult. But he said, you know, there's two things that, that people always need ministers for, weddings and funerals. Uh, and, and when you have people reach out to you, especially, my, my dad said, look, if, if you get somebody that just calls you off the street to do a funeral, you always say yes, because it means that they don't have anyone in their family who even knows a minister well enough to ask them to be there for them in that moment. And so if, if they call and they don't know anybody, you stop what you're doing and, and you help them get through that moment. You know, I, I through the years have, have been a part of a lot of, of weddings, and I, I've been a part of a lot of funerals as a minister. And, you know, they, they couldn't be farther apart on the emotional scale. I mean, you, you get dressed up, typically, for both of them. But, you know, when you gather for a, a wedding, there. It's just, it's filled with this sense of excitement and joy. No, no matter how hectic or crazy things are, and it always gets hectic and crazy right down at the last moment. You know, I always feel like when I'm doing a, a wedding, I'm the only person on stage who's thinking. <laughs> you know, it's my job to think. Make sure, you know, the vows are, are clear and make sure somebody's got the ring and there's always some, you know groomsman that has to get cute with the ring and all that kind of stuff. And, and it doesn't matter because as long as the, the bride and the groom show up and they exchange vows and they get rings and all that, the, the details don't matter at a wedding as long as those, those big moments take place. And, and yet in a funeral, you, you come dressed up often maybe to the same space. And instead of excitement and joy, it's grief and loss you know, at a, at a wedding, you, you get there and you're filled with this anticipation of what comes next. In a funeral, you, you're only thinking about who isn't going to be there 
for what comes next. And, and when you are asked to speak into those kinds of moments, you have a sense that while weddings and funerals are very different, there's one thread that really connects them. And that is the fact that whatever takes place in that experience, in that moment, and more specifically as I think about my role in that, as I'm getting ready to speak, I know going into a wedding or a funeral that, that what happens there will be a part of their lives forever. It, it's going to alter them. It's going to change them. And when you have a sense of that kind of permanence in, in people's memories, you get really, really careful. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really careful whenever I'm getting ready to speak, but I'm especially nervous about every single word when I'm speaking at a wedding or a funeral. And it's even more true at a funeral because there's, there's nothing else really going on. I mean, you have a lot of talking at a funeral. You talk, you might sing a little bit, you talk some more, you might have a, a, a video with photos that's that set to music, that maybe the, the favorite songs that that person had. And then you talk a little more, and then, and then if there's a graveside, you talk even more. And so if the minister says something, and it, it makes things more difficult, or it doesn't seem true, there's, there's nothing to distract you from that mistake. I, I remember I, years ago... Uh, Visiting with with an, a fellow preacher, his, his first name's Josh, and uh, you know when preachers get together, they share stories, and they usually share the stories where things don't go exactly the way you planned. Um, and so we were kind of sharing, you know, those stories where mistakes were made. And he said, "Well, the worst moment of my entire ministry life was when I was an intern with this kind of well-known preacher at this large church, and." He said, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of opportunities to do much because he was so busy and he had so much going on. And, and he talked often about the fact that the church was so big, he didn't really know that many people. And he wasn't interested in getting to know that many people. And he was kind of trying to, to train me to learn how to do professional ministry without really being a pastoral presence. And he said, you know, Josh said, I was young, but even then I felt like this doesn't seem right. And one afternoon, he, he comes into to the little office that they'd given to Josh, and he says, hey, um, I'm already a few minutes late for this funeral I'm going to do, but I would like you to, quote, watch a pro at work. So Josh gets up, and he goes with this guy, and, and he hands Josh a, a directory page that's been printed out, and it's got a picture of this woman named Mabel. And he says, I don't know anything about Mabel other than that picture that the secretary just gave me. I want you to watch what I'm going to do with such little information. So they get there. They're, they're late, literally late to this funeral. The obituary's already been read. They're singing some other songs. This guy walks up to the stage, and he gets up, and he starts, he starts to speak. This experienced preacher who's, who's going to show Josh how to do a funeral. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, he's talking about Mabel like they were best friends. He talks about her deep and abiding faith in Jesus and how she was able to use that faith to get through the challenges of her life. And Josh is thinking, man, this, is, this just doesn't feel right. I mean, he doesn't know her. He's acting like he knows her. And then he's starting to notice that people in the crowd are talking to one another more and more. 
and it's looking, it's just not looking right. And suddenly the preacher flinches. He's in, I, this guy was smooth, you know, he had that radio quality voice. And I mean, he just flinches. And he kind of ends the sentence that he's on and he asks the song leader, would you get up and lead a song? And then he turns around to Josh, who's sitting on one of those little pews that, you know, are on stages sometimes where everybody's watching you, watch them. And he whispers harshly to Josh, we got to get out of here now. And they, get, they go out of a side door, and Josh says, "What? hey, I've never done a funeral before, but this feels like we're leaving early. And he said, yeah. I, I was in the middle of talking about Mabel, and I looked, and on the fourth row, she was sitting there. This is not her funeral. It was not her funeral. So another minister at the church who knew the family, who the funeral actually belonged to, and knew the person who had passed away, they tried to collect themselves, and two hours later, they had a funeral. They never came back. They never came back. Uh, Why would they ever come back? I mean, can you imagine? Can you, no wonder Josh says it's his worst moment in all of his ministry experience. It wasn't even something he did. It was something he watched. I mean, saying goodbye to someone you love is the hardest thing any of us ever has to do in this life. And when someone you care about deeply passes away, brothers and sisters, we, we don't have enough words to describe what happens, but... When someone you love, as much as life itself dies, something inside of you dies. Part of you goes missing. You aren't exactly who you were before you lost them. And you have a deep sense that you're never going to be able to get back to that place again. Death comes in all kinds of different forms. But every way that death happens can undo us, right? It's, sometimes it's too sudden. Sometimes it's, it's too soon. Sometimes it's completely unexpected. Sometimes it's an illness that lasts on and on, and it's, it's like you're losing the person in slow motion, and, and you watch until the light flickers out. Death is the hardest thing any of us have to face in this life. In Luke chapter 7, we have a story about death. We don't know how he died. All we know is that he wasn't the first person that his mother had lost. She had already lost her husband. And we have, all of us, we have watched people lose their spouses. We have watched what that does to them, how difficult it is for them to feel like they're ever going to feel normal again, that they're ever going to really have their broken heart mended again. But at least when she lost her husband, she had a hand to hold. She had her son there with her. And, and she could trust that even if her husband was gone, as her son grew up and matured, he was going to be the one who would watch over her. He was going to be the one who would take care of her. She lived in a world 
where a woman needed to be in a relationship with some man in her life who could protect her and take care of her and watch over her. And that's who her son was going to be for her. And then this happens. She is, Luke says, a childless widow with no options. Just no hope left. And so she is now walking down the street and she's walking right next to the body of her son and she would give anything to trade places with him. She would give anything to see him again, to talk to him again, to hear him laugh again. She, she would give anything. And her sorrow and her grief are overwhelming. They're crushing her spirit and stinging tears are running down her cheeks. And that's when Jesus walks up to her. You've got your Bible open up to, to Luke chapter 7. Read together starting in verse 11. Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said to her, and these may be my two favorite words Jesus ever speaks to anybody. Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on. I pronounced that correctly, by the way. I checked. Okay, so the bier they were carrying him on. And the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So last week, we started this new sermon series, right? What would Jesus undo? Because we talked about, as we look at the gospel story, Jesus does all kinds of amazing things to change our world and our lives, but Jesus, Jesus also undoes things, the, the dark forces that you and I have to face the dark forces that at times we feel like can overwhelm us. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus has this, this deep commitment to undoing the spirit of condemnation. right? The condemnation that exists often between us and our relationships. And if it does exist between us, it threatens to wreck and ruin every single relationship we have. Jesus doesn't want us to live lives that are marked and marred by this spirit of condemnation. And this morning, we're, we're, we're really dealing with the darkest power that you and I ever have to face, right? In the power of death. And, and what's interesting to me is that in, in a lot of religious circles and in a lot of, of my own religious experiences, there are times that, that these two things intersect, right? There are times when Somebody passes away, and then there's suddenly this conversation, or at least there are thoughts that we have, and we're wondering about what's going to happen to them. 
Uh, And we can often, out of trying to be really clear about our doctrinal positions, we can get ourselves to a place where we feel pretty certain that we know exactly where somebody is going to spend eternity. Um, I usually am, am told something directly about what, what a person feels about this if I'm asked to do a funeral and, and one of the family members had a difficult relationship with them. Uh, and they want me to be clear in the funeral that they were not a great person and that, that we probably have an educated guess of where they're going and it's not good. You'd be surprised at how often these kinds of conversations happen within families that are dealing with grief and loss and the difficulty of all that. Here's what I want to say to you real clearly, and and I'm so thankful that Kelly mentioned John 3.16 because it's in John 3.16 and 17 where the spirit of condemnation and the power of death intersect, right, really clearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him or trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, right? Here's what I want to say to you. We do not have a God who's looking for any reason to condemn anybody. We have a God who's looking for any reason to save them. And all it takes, as you continue to read Luke and the other Gospels, but Luke 17, all it takes for God to work is a mustard seed of faith, a drop of faith. The smallest opening you can imagine for God to step into somebody's life and redeem that life, redeem that soul. And the reality is we need to be really careful when we decide we know whether or not somebody else had a mustard seed drop of faith in their life or not. We don't know. And it's not our place to act like we do. We don't have a God who's looking for any reason to condemn us. We have a God who's looking for any reason to save us. Okay, now, there are places in Scripture where eternity and how all that works is discussed, that's not all discussed in this story in Luke chapter 7. You know what this story, this story doesn't tell us the the mother's doctrinal beliefs. It doesn't tell us what the son believed, where his heart stood in relationship to God. You know what Luke 7 tells us? It doesn't tell us anything about what's going on in their hearts. It tells us what's going on in Jesus' heart, and that's all that matters. This story is about what happens when the power and the goodness and the grace of God encounter death on a street. And you know what happens? Jesus undoes death. That's what happens. Okay, back to my uh, manuscript. I can still see him. I've performed a lot of funerals over the years. And I can see the faces of every person that I've helped bury. Young people, uh, old people, children, babies. I can, I can see their faces, and I, I can see the faces of the people of faith, those families of faith who had gathered around them, and they, they were brokenhearted. 
and they're struggling to say goodbye. And I can tell you this much, if there was any possible way that I could stop giving the eulogy and I could reach out and gently touch the casket and ask their loved one to get up, I would do it every single time. Of all the stories we know about Jesus, there isn't a single funeral that he encounters where he doesn't interrupt and stop everything that's happening to raise that person from the dead. He brings them back to life every single time so that he can give them back to the people who love them most. I can't think of a better way to interrupt the funeral. I mean, with just a few words, with the power of a few words, Jesus is able to turn a funeral march into a welcome back party. If I could give someone back to the people who love them most, I would do it every single time, and so would you. But brothers and sisters, it takes more than a well-meaning minister to do something like that. It takes a self-giving savior You need God in the flesh, walking right beside us and willing to die this horrible death for us so that he could defeat the power of death forever. Forever. Every time I preach at a funeral, every time I get up to speak to this group of gathered, grieving believers, I feel certain, I can feel it in the room, that I am not the only person who is talking that day. I'm not the only person who's preaching that day. I'm not the only voice they're listening to, because every time I speak at a funeral, I know that they're hearing another voice say to them, as they look at the casket in the front, I I know they're hearing these words, this is it. This is the end. It's over. You're never going to see them again. Have you heard that voice somewhere when you're at a funeral? It's the voice of death. And brothers and sisters, it's lying to us. But it's there. And every single time, there's a part of us that's tempted to believe that death is telling us the truth. But because of Jesus, you and I are the people who are supposed to be able to look death in the face and proclaim it isn't the end. It's not over, not yet. We believe that it is going to take time, and it's always surely more time than any of us ever wants to wait. But the same Jesus Christ who raised that nameless young man in this little village called Nain 2,000 years ago and gave him back to his mother... That same Jesus Christ is going to raise up the people we've loved and lost for the same reason, not because of anything we do, not because of anything they've done, but because of what's going on in God's heart, and he wants to give them back to us. He wants to give them back. I know that nearly every single one of us in this room has lost somebody that we we loved dearly, that that we loved as much as life itself. And I know that for the past several minutes, this has been difficult, that you've probably been seeing their faces. Your grandfather, your your grandmother, your mom, your, your dad, your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, your son, your daughter, your best friend. I know you see them in your heart right now. And I know 
I know that it threatens to undo us because there's, there's a part of us that we just want to be able to share life with them again. We, we have so much we would say to them if we could. And I know that, that we'd give anything, you'd give anything, to see them one more time. Right now, this, this very moment, to hear their voice and listen to their laughter and to feel the warmth of their embrace, to catch that special scent that only, only belongs to them, I know. I know that you'd give anything. And as painful as, as all of this is for us, you need to know that the gospel story, in the moment where you wish that you could give anything, you need to know God has already given everything. God gave everything God had to give to give them back to you. God gave everything he could give to make certain that while death lasts for a time, and again, it's always too much time from our perspective, it will not last forever. God has not only found us, God has found a way in Jesus to make sure that death is never the end for us. Death never gets the final say. So we wait. We wait with broken hearts. Because we don't know how long we're going to have to wait. But we don't only wait with broken hearts, we also wait with hopeful hearts. We wait with a hope that's too strong and too bright to ever completely fail or fade away. We wait, brothers and sisters, with this special kind of hope, with resurrection hope. And because of that resurrection hope, we know that a day is coming. A day is coming when the people that we've loved and lost will live again, not just in our hearts, not just in our stories, not just in our memories, but in our arms, in our embrace. A day is coming. A day is coming when, when I'm going to get to walk through a doorway and my grandfather is going to stand up and he's going to smile and he's going to shake my hand and he's going to hug me in a way that makes me feel like a kid again. A day is coming when I'll see my dad's mother for the very first time. I never got to meet her. I'm going to get to meet her. And I know that we're going to recognize one another in that moment. A day is coming when my mom's mother, my nanny, is going to ask me to join her on the couch so that we can watch a little baseball together and maybe the Giants will even win. <laughs> a day is coming when my, my Uncle Larry, with a mischievous gleam in his eye, he was always pulling pranks on me and giving me a hard time and I can't wait for him to do that again, a day is coming when my Aunt Bonnie is going to be able to walk on legs that work and don't hurt. And, and she's going to call me over because she's found some brand new song that she, she knows I, I haven't had a chance to hear yet. And she knows I'm going to love it because she does. A day is coming when my good friend Kirk is going to be able to, to walk through the door and, and crack jokes and make me laugh until my side hurts because he really is that funny. A day is coming, brothers and sisters, a day when I will finally, after all of these years, get to see my Savior face to face. I'm going I'm to get to see him in all of his glory. This one who loves me so much, he didn't just give his life to save me. He, he gave his life to save all the people I love. 
and I've lost. He gave his life to give them back. Jesus is going to give them back to us. Who are you wanting to see? Who is it that you're waiting for? Jesus is going to give them back. I promise you, death is never the end. I know it feels like it. I know it feels like it, but it's not the truth. It's never the end. It never gets the final say. Love does. Love gets the final say. And when Jesus walks up to death, he undoes it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their, their wives will be in our church lobby. They're there to pray with you, to talk with you, to be community for you. So if you came this morning at all uh, with any concerns, anything you want to pray about, you want to know more about Jesus, what it means to follow him, anything, uh, please go to them as together we stand and sing.